0: Welcome to KHBC Christmas Eve Radio, here from Hillsdale Bible Church, Hillsdale, Oklahoma. We are very glad you're able to join us here for our 2022 edition of Christmas Eve Songs and Messages. It's been a couple of very cold days here in Hillsdale, and we are very glad to uh, have this holiday, this Beautiful, beautiful Christmas time come to us. So, this evening, I have a couple of beautiful songs for you. I also have a message that I believe is very, very important for us. It is why I believe in the Christmas message. It was preached here in the Hillsdale Bible Church Sanctuary just a few weeks ago and saved to present to you this very evening. So I pray that you find it to be a blessing, an encouragement, and most of all, may it lead us to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you for joining us. Enjoy the music and enjoy the message. Galatians chapter 4, and tonight I want to speak about why I believe in the Christmas message. A little more personal, maybe, something that uh, comes from my own heart, as well as a lot of scripture I want to share with you. A lot of scripture I want to share with you. You already know I love Christmas. I mean, I can't have it all year long, and it doesn't bother me at all. Um, we... Kept Christmas trees up for more than one month too. By the way, uh, we decorate them for different holidays. But we love—I love the Christmas trees. I, I love the Christmas music. Which you might come by the office in July, and guess what you might hear? Some Christmas music playing off my my laptop as I'm working on the sermon. I just—I just love the 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 season. I just love it. And so. When we talk about it, I can watch the movies like you might do as well, the Charlie Brown movies or the, you know, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. We just watched that the other night. That was so much fun. Uh, But uh, we watch these things and we get excited and we've seen the tradition and we've been a part of all those things here and there. Um, The stories, the stories of Christmas and what it means to these people, even in Hollywood and the movies and such like that, uh is there a Santa Claus, the letter to Virginia, if you remember in the newspaper, many, 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 many years ago. You weren't here, but you've surely heard of the, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus story. Um, why do I believe in the Christmas message? You say, well, you should, you're our pastor, right? Yeah, I guess that is kind of leaning heavy that way. But there's a reason for it. Now I'll take you to Galatians 4, verse number 4 and 5 to start this evening. Well, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God sent forth his Son at the right time. At the right time. That time, some, almost two thousand years ago, was the right time. He could have sent his son as soon as Adam and Eve had sinned, but it wasn't the right time. He could have sent his son during the days of Abraham, but that wasn't the right time. He could have sent them, sent his son during the days of David, the great king, but that wasn't the right time. We can march all the way through the history of the Old Testament. But it's not until it was the right time that God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son so that, it says, He might redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. I was not born under the law of Moses, and you weren't either. But we were born under the law of sin. Romans chapter 8 makes this point. It talks about three laws. It says there is a law of the spirit of life. And it says there is a law of sin. And it says there is a law of death. Sin and death go hand in hand. We know that story too, don't we? The soul that sins will die. Ezekiel says in chapter 18 verse 4. That soul was you and me. We're boundless, bound, we're captive, we're hopelessly chained to the penalty. We are told in Scripture they are the wages. That means we deserve them. We earn them for our sins. This is where we were. And the pictures in Scripture go on and on and on about our helpless and hopeless estates says we were even dead in our trespasses and sins. And I read those words and I see that sin and death go hand in hand and and we really do deserve this because how many of us are guilty of sin? Scripture says all, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, that's a terrible thing to have to think through. That's a terrible situation to be in. There is no hope in such a thing. Thank the Lord He gave the remedy. Without that, we would have had no hope. Because that passage I just read to you, uh, just in a couple of phrases, the law of the spirit of life, the law of sin, the law of death, comes out of Romans chapter 8, verse 2. And it says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Set you free. This afternoon I was looking at a sign and it was a reminder of the passage in Isaiah and it's describing the Lord Jesus Christ as uh, um, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God. And I stopped and looked at that for a few minutes. The mighty God. Oh, he's God, right? Yes. And what can God do? Anything God wants to do, I guess. He is God after all. But put before it an adjective, like mighty. That's an incredible phrase. When we examine sin and see the depth of it all, and we look at the, the, the terrible consequences of sin, thank the Lord we have a mighty God. He has set you free from the law of sin and of death. When I think about Christmas time, I think about music. I think about lights. I think about decorations. I think about gifts. I think about family. I I think about the happy days uh, of my youth. The sheer excitement of the holiday. I have told you this before, but I made myself sick waiting for Christmas. I just couldn't. I was a nervous wreck waiting for Christmas to come. Uh, I couldn't wait for Christmas Eve. In our home, we gave out gifts on Christmas Eve. And so, for us to wait the entire day as a child was tough. But we knew we had to get past dinner time, too. And dinner time was uh, usually at 5, 5.30 or so at night. We were used to that. My dad worked several of those Christmas Eve days. And so we had to wait till Dad got home from work before we could eat. And we would have our dinner. And all the while, it's hard to eat when you're so excited. But my parents always said, what? Make sure you clean up everything on your plate. And so that was a hard ordeal to go through. And then when my sister got old enough to uh, start dating, she added a new dimension to it that really, really bothered us. Because we were not allowed to open gifts until her friend showed up. And we would stand there watching out the front window. We could see all the way down the street. And we were looking for headlights. We lived on a dead end street, so we know if anybody turned in the street, it's got to be the one we're looking for. And we'd just stand there for 20, 30 minutes, which felt like a lifetime, waiting for her friend. Her friend didn't get many points that night because he would come later and later. And it's like, we couldn't wait for Christmas Eve. And suddenly, after we pestered my parents long enough, they said, okay, it's time. And they would go and start to distribute the gifts. And, and then they'd let us play. And we'd play well past our bedtime. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, if we were still conscious. We were still going on. And I used to think, "Well, wow, that is a special treat until I found out the strategy behind it. My mom wanted a kitchen to herself in the morning. And if all of her children were unconscious, that made it so much easier. And that was part of her trick, I'm sure it was, that she would have us open on Christmas Eve and then play to our heart's content. What fond memories those are. I think about those, and those memories get dearer and dearer to me. I think about the family that I've spent so, so many years with. And uh, now some of them are up with the Lord. And uh, I still have the memories. I still have the memories. But there's something that is much more dear to me each time that calendar passes on this holiday. And it is what my Savior did for me. What he did for me. What he did for you. The message of the Christmas season is all about a Savior. And that's what the angels announced. Was that true? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who do you send a Savior to, but to the ones who need saved? They're the ones who will benefit from a Savior. So throughout the Scriptures, the Lord explains this birth of Christ in so many different ways. You know, he could have just simply said, like in our genealogy, to Mary was born Jesus, and da, da 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 and just move on. And it could have been left at one line or one little phrase in a line. It could have been that simple. But what we have in Scripture and what makes the pastor really happy is how many different ways it's said and how many different passages and how many different people did the Lord inspire to write down another aspect of the birth of Christ? We have an enormous record of the birth of Christ and such variety to each and every one of the writers. Let's walk through some of them, okay? This is always fun. Let's go back to Matthew for starters. The book of Matthew chapter number 1 Let's start at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his na- name Jesus, for he, I love this, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Then chapter 2, which is familiar for us. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him." After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Go over to the book of Luke for a minute. Luke chapter number 1. This section in Luke, especially chapter 2, is probably the most uh, quoted passage at Christmas time. But Luke chapter 1 is where the story begins and what we want to look at. Verse number 26, Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever.' And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative, Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went to the, in a hurry to the hill country, to the uh, city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greetings reached my ear, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to her by the Lord. My Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then returned to her home. Now I'm going to jump all the way over to verse number 1 of chapter 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of the earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight into Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went out glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Those are the passages we go to so often to read about the birth of our Savior. Let's check out a couple of Old Testament passages while we're at it. Let's go to Isaiah for a minute. Isaiah chapter number 7. All of these Old Testament prophecies are are so rich in uh, the context, the history of what's going on at the time. Uh, this Particular moment in in Israel's history, Ahaz is king. King Ahaz, well, he wasn't a very good king. I'm saying it mildly. Scripture actually says that uh, the Lord was not pleased with him. He was a wicked man, and as a result of that, there were many challenges to his king his kingdom, uh, because the Lord said, "When you are not walking with me, I'll send enemies into your land." And sure enough, they had an enemy. Uh, the Assyrians, uh, were one of the threats that they had to worry a little bit about, but the problem was really directly north of them. Their sister, so to speak, Israel, the nations of the north, had decided, with the help of the king of Syria, or Aram, that they're going to go in there and take Ahaz off his throne and replace him for somebody who would be more compatible with what they want politically. So if you were for Ahaz sitting down there and, and uh, you heard that your neighbors to the north and over here to the east were gaming up against you and they were bringing their armies and you were in a lot of trouble, you start to worry about it. Well, Ahaz was of a particular sort of guy who... Knew that the answer was in the Lord, but he wouldn't do it. You ever meet somebody like that? He said, "What is wrong with you? Turn to the Lord. He will save you. He will protect you. He will help you." But he has was one stubborn guy. He said, "I won't do it. I'm not going to do that." And so as he's stewing about his office and thinking about the fact that these folks had come on and they're so close by, the Lord says. All right, he's not going to come to me, so I'm sending my prophet. I'm going to have a word with Isaiah. And Isaiah, I have a job for you. I want you to go talk to the king. And that's what the background is to this. And you're going to see his his behavior in this. But this was such an uh, exciting section that speaks of the birth of Christ. It was quoted already in the passage we read. But I'm going to start in chapter 7, right there in verse number 1. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, that's Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. But they couldn't conquer it. And when it was reported to the house of David saying, The Arabians have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Now go and meet Ahaz. You and your son, share a Josh hub uh, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the forest field. <laughs> That's where he was. And say to him, Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted, because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramaliah. Because Aram, with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah, has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it, and make for ourselves a breach in the walls and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It won't happen. That's my paraphrase. Alright. right. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Resin. Now, within about 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, so it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. And if you will not believe it, you will surely not last. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, so ask a sign. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as a grave. Make it as high as a heaven. Any sign you want. Because when people don't trust the Lord, they usually say, give us a sign. How do we know? How do we know it's true? How many times did they do that to Jesus. But they said, give us a sign. The Lord is the one inviting Ahaz, the stubborn old man who wouldn't even come to him. Says, ask for a sign, any sign you want. It doesn't matter what you want. Boy, that's quite a blank check, check, isn't it? Anything you want. Just ask for it, Ahaz, and I'll show you that my word is true. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Sounds spiritual. But this man tested the Lord every day of his life. Just the fact that he was breathing was a test of the Lord, I think. Ahaz says, I will not ask. And the Lord says, okay, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. She would call his name, Emmanuel. What a sign! Does the Lord mean it? Is this just some wild thing? He says, "Well, let's let's talk about the most bizarre thing that ever happened. How about a virgin having a son? This is a sign. It's interesting." He records it here and he goes on to explain that even before this boy knows enough to refuse evil and choose good, these two things are be gone. But when Matthew got a hold of that passage, and so many times the angels brought it up too, it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a miracle. Don't ever underestimate that. It's a miracle. It's only something God could do. Is to have a virgin bear a son. That's a remarkable passage. Those, over the many, many, many years of, of theology, especially in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, they wanted to get rid of this passage for all oh, they tried. They didn't want it to say what it said. They did. They wanted to say, oh, it's a young girl, it's not a virgin. They wanted to change the passage over and over because they were of the sort that didn't believe in miracles. (laughs) And they didn't give God's word any credibility. And they were the teachers of our colleges, of our seminaries. They were producing a bunch of others who would come out and minister to churches and tell them that it's not true. (laughs) I love this passage because it speaks of something only God can do. Only God can do. And why is that important to me, along with all these other passages? Because salvation is something only God can do. That's what Christmas reminds me of. It's something only God could have done. Here in chapter number 8, let's stay right here for a few minutes. Chapter 8, go to verse 18. This again is another favorite passage I like to look at. During this holiday season. I I love reading Isaiah during the month of December. When I did my reading through the Bible in a year. I saved Isaiah for last. Because I knew it hit December. And I wanted to read Isaiah in December. And this is another passage of the people. So ingrained in their sin. That they didn't look for the way out. They lived in it. They stayed in it. And should they have been left to their own, they would have never said a word. They would have laid there in that sin. And in Isaiah chapter number 8 starts in verse 18. Isaiah is speaking and he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel, for the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. For they say to you, Consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. Shall not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Then they yell out, to the law and to the testimony. Well, if they do not speak according to the word, it's because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it would turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Into chapter 9. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness, will see a great light. And those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nations, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of the oppressor, as in the battle of Midian. And every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of Tumult. And the cloak rolled up in blood will be for burning, fuel for fire. For a child will be born to us. I love the way that comes right in there. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or a peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I long for that day when this land is covered with righteousness, when the Lord reigns from the throne. That day is coming. But the promise is right in front of you. You believe it? You believe it's going to happen? Everything else the Lord has said has come about. About the first coming of Christ, this speaks of his second coming too. It's just a beautiful passage. One more I want to take you to. Well, for now. But Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. That's one of the minor prophets. Verse number 1 through 5. Now muster yourself in troops, daughters of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. For from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. I love that phrase. This one will be our peace. You know, that was written 2,700 years ago. 2,700 years ago. If I move back in time and, and I'm working my way, as you can probably see, I'm moving my way backwards, I go back even further than that. I go back to a time when there wasn't even a calendar. Let's go all the way back to where John starts his story. The Gospel of John chapter number one. I want you to see something so precious in this passage of John chapter number one. Who is this one who has been born that we have been speaking about over and over and over again? In the beginning, John says, was the Word. He must be eternal. And this Word was with God. He must be one of the Trinity. And this Word was God. He must be divine. He was in the beginning with God. Fellowship with the Father, with the Spirit. All things came into being through Him. He's the Creator. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's sovereign. And he's the great cause. This is high theology, isn't it? In him was life. Vitality. And the life was the light of men. Revelation. Clarity. Illumination. The light shines in the darkness. Here's his activity. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Could not overcome it. Omnipotence. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness to testify about that light. And now it gets practical. So that all might believe through him. He was not that light, but He came to testify about that light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He makes a disclosure to us. He was in this world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. What condensation. And He would come down to us. He came to His own And those who were His own did not receive Him. Did He know that? Boy, what sympathy. What compassion. To come to people who wouldn't even receive Him. But as many as did receive Him, Scripture says, to them He gave the right. He gave the power. He gave the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I put in my margin as I was thinking through this. This is somewhat what grace looks like. What you have just seen is what God did for me that I couldn't do myself. What he did for me, I couldn't do myself. That I have the right to be called one of his children. That I have the right to recognize Jesus Christ as my Lord. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. There is incarnation. And dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And John testified about him, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is of a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, boy is that undeserved, grace upon grace. When I stop and look at that, I try to visualize it. What is that? If I have grace here, you put one's up. And put more on top. And put more on top. Keep stacking it up. Grace upon grace upon grace. What our Lord has given to us. How undeserved this says it. We have all received. And grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Take me all the way back to the beginning. He was born under the law. He was born under the law. Born of that woman. Born under the law. And the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. How else would we ever know the meaning of this season? How else would we ever know what it is to have your sins forgiven? How else would we ever know the kind of God we have who loves us and who looks down upon us with pity and with mercy and with grace and He sees us in our helpless state and He says, I've got the answer for that. I send my son. My son. This same omnipotent, eternal, divine, Creator, so sovereign, so great, so much of life and revelation, clarity and illumination and all that he is, he came and took on flesh. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law so that he might redeem those who are under the law and that we might receive the spirit of adoption. We might have a part in all that. That he should look upon you and me and say, I love this one. And I give my son that they may be saved. He sent us a Savior. Aren't those precious things? That's what our season's all about. You want to know what I believe? Why I believe it? It's because Jesus Christ came. That's the Christmas message. Jesus Christ came. He came for us. He came to save us. Even, folks, as stubborn as we are, He didn't let that be the hindrance, did He? He came for us. I just love the grace and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. I just love that story, don't you? When we talk about our Savior this time of year, underscore Savior, People would say, let's talk about the baby. Say, no, let's talk about the Savior. Because that's who was promised to us. He didn't say a baby, but he would always be my Savior. Always be my Savior. So what does it mean to you? What is this all about? Do you have your heart set? Are you already enjoying the truth of the season? It's a blessing to know it, isn't it? But it's also a blessing to share it. Maybe you know somebody who needs to know it. Talk to them. Tell them why it's important to you. You don't have to start with, what's wrong with you? (laughs) But you could say, why is this important to me? I want to tell you why this holiday is so important to me. You've got a Savior, folks. Isn't that worth rejoicing over? Heavenly Father, what a great thing you have done. What a great thing you have done for us. That you would send your Son, knowing how sinful we are and how stubborn we were in that sin, you would still send your Son to take our place on a cross, to take the penalties for sin, to take away the consequences of sin so that we might be called children of God that we might have a Savior and we have a future. We have so much to rejoice in this time of year. I thank you, Lord, for the complete story. From one end to the other, your scripture talks about what Jesus Christ would do for us. And I praise you, Lord, for it. I give you the glory. I sing with those angels tonight. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Lift up our hearts, Lord, and help us to see. Living in a dark land like we do now, we have a Savior. And this world needs to hear it. So prompt our hearts, we pray, as we enter into a season of rejoicing, let us be quick to tell people why we rejoice. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming, for paying the price on our behalf. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making us see it, understand it, and teaching our hearts and drawing us into the body of Christ. What a great thing you have done, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. you were able to join us here this evening for our Christmas Eve radio. Pray that uh, this will be a great holiday season for you. Enjoy Christmas Day, remember the Savior, and rejoice in what he has done. I thank you for your time. And uh, with that, we will be signing off from KHBC Radio Christmas Eve all the way from Hillsdale Bible Church. May the Lord bless you.